If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. We start a new chapter in our study of Matthew this week, and we turn to what I would consider one of the darkest, blackest chapters in the entire Bible. Um, and I, I would say that the weather that we're getting today matches the start of this chapter. When they were singing, and I could hear the thunder, and, and it was rumbling, I thought, this, this, this is exactly what we need today as we're studying this passage. And you say, why is it the darkest passage in, in the Bible? It's because we have two deaths here. Uh, we're, we're going to see a death today, but we're going to see the death of Jesus Christ on the cross that the rest of the chapter, we're going to see Him go to the cross and die for our sins. Uh, it's a dark, dark, dark chapter. But here today we see the first death, and this is the death of a disciple. This is the death of Judas. And I've titled the sermon today, and, and this may be a controversial title, but I've titled the sermon today, The Man Who Couldn't Be Saved. And I want to show you Judas. I get that question a lot. Could Judas have been saved? And I want to show you today what, what the Bible says. And, and we're going to study it and look at the man who couldn't be saved. So let's stand together in, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. And I want to read to you the first ten verses of Matthew 27. And this is again a very dark, heartbreaking, tragic ten verses. I wish I had something more upbeat for you today. But not every passage that we turn to will be upbeat. This is a very tragic passage. And you can't skip it. I could have easily went to, to Jesus and Pilate. But no, we've we got to see what happens here. So let's look at verses 1-10. through 10. This is the man who couldn't be saved. Verse 1, And the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put Him to death. When they had bound Him, they led Him away and delivered Him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed Him, when he saw that He was condemned, he repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to it. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple. And he departed, and he went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field, bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver and the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. Again, these are tragic verses as we get to see really the end of the life of Judas, one of the disciples. So let's pray and then we'll study these, these tough verses today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the passages that we look at and say, wow, those are very encouraging and uplifting and, and powerful verses. But God, we also thank you for the tragic verses, the heartbreaking verses, the stuff that, that's hard to study, that's hard to preach. I think sometimes we get more out of the hard stuff than we do the easy stuff. And I pray, God, today that you would teach us some things. We need to learn this. We need to not go the way that Judas went. You have set before us an example in Judas, saying, don't do this. Don't go this way. Don't be that man. So God, help us to see that, to, to take heed to this warning. This is not a warning to unbelievers. Judas is set before as a warning to the church. So God, teach us these things today. Help us to heed this warning. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. One of the most common responses that I get when I share the gospel with people, and you would be amazed at how many times I've heard this, repeatedly, over and over and over, as I'm trying to share the gospel, tell people how to be saved, how they can find forgiveness in Jesus Christ, how they can uh, go to heaven when they die, that there's a, a hell to, to shun and there's a, a heaven to, to gain. And you try to share the gospel and you, you, you compel them and you, you do your best to get them to respond in faith to Jesus Christ. Here's one of the, the most common responses that I get. Maybe you've heard it before. It, it is this. I'm too bad to be saved. People will say that you don't know me, Pastor. You don't know what I've done. 
You don't know where I've been. You don't know the, the sins that I've committed. I'm too bad to be saved. There's no way that God could save a man like me. I've heard that over and over and over. And every time somebody says that to me, I'm too bad to be saved. My response is, here's what I say. You don't know who God is. Our God is a very forgiving God. Our God is a God full of compassion, full of kindness and love and grace. The Bible says He is abundant and overwhelming in His mercy. The Bible says that God delights in and He loves to forgive sinners. And not just any sinners. Our God doesn't just love to save the run-of-the-mill sinners. When I say run-of-the-mill, I mean just your everyday sinners who have your little white lies and they really don't think they're too bad. God doesn't just love to save the, save the, the run-of-the-mill sinners. God loves to save. God loves to forgive the filthiest. The law-breaking. The hell-bound sinners. God loves to save the worst of the worst. The worst of the people that He saves, the more glory that our God gets in saving them. Our God is a very forgiving God. Exodus 33 says this, when God was introducing Himself to Moses, tell the people I'm this. He said, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins. Tell the people that's who God is. A very forgiving God. Aren't you glad today that there is a, a God and, and it's one God and He is a very forgiving God? I'll give you a couple more verses just in case you don't believe me. I know you do. Micah 7, verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee? that pardons iniquity, passes by transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delights, he loves, he enjoys mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion. He will subdue the iniquities. He will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. That's who our God is. He's a God of great forgiveness and mercy. That's who saved you. A God of great mercy. So my response to them is when they say that, no, Pastor, I'm, you don't know how bad I am. There's no way God would ever save a person like me. I tell them that the very heart of God is a forgiving God. That the heart of the Gospel is that our God stands ready and willing to save anyone who comes to Him and asks for forgiveness. So the problem isn't that God isn't forgiving. The problem is that people aren't willing to come to Him and ask for forgiveness. That's the problem. The problem isn't on God's end. The problem's on their end. The problem isn't that they're too bad. The problem is they keep rejecting God. The problem is they keep stiff-arming God. The problem is they keep turning God down. They refuse. They won't come. They won't ask. They go to other places trying to find forgiveness for their sins other than God. That's exactly what Judas does here. It's not God's fault. It's your fault for not coming to God. And that's exactly what's going on with Judas here. You see in the first two verses, I want to give you the timing of the passage. This is early morning on Good Friday. This is the day of the crucifixion. This is uh, they're bringing Jesus, it says, to, to Pilate to, to be tried again. And as they move Him from one scene to the other, and He's beaten and He's bloodied and, and, and they're carrying Him and, and pulling Him and He's shackled and bound. It says in verse 3, Then Judas... Standing by, watching, seeing Jesus just like Peter did. In the same area where, where Jesus is being tried and, and beaten and, and, and mocked and spit on. There's Peter watching and there's Judas watching. We watched Peter last week and now, now Judas sees Jesus. But unlike Peter, Judas refuses Jesus. Unlike Peter, Judas won't ask for forgiveness. Unlike Peter, Judas walks away from Jesus. This is tragic, heartbreaking, and unfortunately it happens all the time. Do you have any idea how often it happens in church? When people see the beauty and the majesty and the glory and the grace and the mercy of Jesus through a sermon, and they, they get up out of their pew and they walk away. There's Judases in church every single week. Not that they couldn't be saved, but they wouldn't be saved. I say Judas couldn't be saved because Judas wouldn't be saved. 
There's all kinds of people in churches and all around the world who refuse the forgiveness that Jesus offers. That's what's going on in this passage. I'm going to give you some reasons why he wouldn't be saved or couldn't be saved today. We're just going to work our way through verses 3 to 10. And I want to start with number 1. I want to give you the deception of a man who couldn't be saved. The deception of a man who couldn't be saved. You you see there in verse 3, and I'm just going to start with, then Judas. (laughs) That's where the first point is, then Judas. Who is Judas? Who is this guy? I want want to give you kind of a, a little bit of background in case you don't know who Judas is. Judas was chosen by Jesus. Handpicked by Jesus. One of the twelve disciples that Jesus called and said, I want you to follow me. And Judas, when Jesus called, and He said, hey Judas, I want you to come and follow me. You know what Judas did? He dropped everything that he had and he took off and he followed Jesus. He was committed. He was loyal. He left everything that he had and he followed Jesus for three years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everywhere Jesus went, Judas was sure to follow I mean, if Jesus was, was here, Judas was here. Wherever Jesus was, there was not just Judas, but all the disciples. Judas saw everything that happened for three years. Get this with me. Judas saw it all. He felt the power. He tasted the grace. He enjoyed the fellowship. He saw the clearest evidence that anybody could ever see. He heard the finest teaching. Followed the greatest example. He even served in the ministry. When they were to, they were they were gathered together, who's going to keep the money? And everybody agreed. We think Judas should carry it. <laughs> Steph didn't laugh at that one either. He was the money carrier, the most trusted of the bunch. He would go out and preach. He was taking care of the money. He was even doing miracles that Jesus said, go out and, and you'll be able to, to perform miracles. Judas did all that. It shows that, that Judas on the outside, looked as real as anybody here. There's no reason to think that Judas wasn't sincere. By all accounts, he looked like a real follower. There was no clues, no hints. Nobody had any suspicions at all that Judas wasn't real. I mean, when they were, when Jesus was in the upper room and said, one of you twelve is going to betray me, nobody looked at Judas and said, I bet it's him. Got to be that guy. I've had suspicions on him for three years. Nobody said that. I think if they took a vote, Judas was the least likely to betray Jesus. They all said, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? It can't be Judas. He, he's a, a, an educated man. He, he, he's a, a gifted man. He, he, he's a trusted man. He's a, he's a loyal man. It can't be Judas. He looks the part. But it says, then Judas, look down in verse 3 with me again, which had betrayed him. That becomes his title. That becomes what he's known as, the betrayer. He was a fake. It came out that he was a thief, that he had been taking money and out of the money bag and putting it in his pocket all along. And it probably started out very small. It probably started out just a, a little bit here and a, and a little bit there. And it only takes a little bit for you to open the door to, 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 to Satan in your life. And before you know it, he's not just taking a little bit. He's saying, we could have taken that perfume and, and took the, and given it to the poor. You know, he didn't want it in the poor. He wanted it in the money sack. So he put more in his pocket. Just starts with a little bit here and a, and a little bit there. This isn't too bad. This, this isn't too bad. And before you know it, he's full on traitor. Not just a thief. He's a traitor. He turns Jesus in for 30 pieces of silver, which would be the equivalent of a thousand dollars in our day. This shows the deception. Judas had had deceived everybody but Jesus. Jesus knew, but the disciples didn't know. I don't even know that Judas knew. I think he even deceived his own self. I don't think he knew the condition of his own heart. I think he thought he was right the whole time. I think he made excuses. It's just a little bit. It's not that bad. I think he might have even been laying, laying in his bed at night. Thinking about a sermon that he had just heard Jesus preach and thinking, am I really right? I think I'm right. I think I am. I think I'm okay. If I was okay, would I really be taking this, this money out of the bag and, and putting it in my own pocket? I think he might have thought back to the miracles and said, do I really believe this? Am I right? I think for three years he passed up moments. 
I think, I think for three years he heard the warnings. I think he knew that there was a, a hell to shun and a, and a heaven to gain. I don't think it ever dawned on him. I don't think it, it ever occurred. A, a light bulb went off in his head. I'm lost. I'm an unbeliever. I think he thought he was sincere. So the point here I want to get to you is you can't be saved if you don't know you're lost. Judas couldn't be saved because Judas didn't know he was lost. And there are so many people in this Bible Belt religion-full area that we live in who are self-deceived. And it's the hardest thing in the world to get somebody who doesn't know they're lost to understand their need of salvation. Judas thought he was right all along. Just going along for three years, just along for the ride, doing everything that he, that he thought he was supposed to do. Uh, on the outside, he knew some knowledge about Jesus, but he didn't know who Jesus really was. On the outside, he made a, a good profession, but he didn't have anything on the inside. No possession of real faith. And there's so many people in, in churches like ours who walk through life self-deceived and you can't be saved if you don't know you're lost. In our area, you have to get people to understand they're lost before you can get them saved. Everybody you talk to, no, I'm alright. And they, they go down the, the same list that Judas would. I've done this, and, and I've done that, and, and I've done this, and, and I've done that. But has your heart been changed on the inside? There's so many self-deceived. So many just going through the motions. So many that say they've entered into the narrow gate, but they're really walking the broad way. So the challenge to us in this point is, are you sure? Do you know your own heart? Are you self-deceived? Are you sitting here today just like Judas for three years saying, I'm alright, I'm alright, I'm alright, I'm alright. And then you get to the point where we're at now and it's, no I'm not. Judas couldn't be saved because Judas didn't know he was lost. 2 Corinthians 13 says this, examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, know you not your own selves, how that Jesus is in you, except you be reprobate. Check yourself. So that's the point number one. You can't be saved if you don't know you're lost. That's the deception, the self-deception. Now I want to turn to the, the, to the decision. Because now in verse 3, he makes a decision here. It says, Then Judas, which, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, there, there was the first thing he did, he saw Jesus. The same as Peter. Same words that's used in Luke 22, that Peter saw Jesus. As, as he's denying Jesus, Jesus walks by and they catch eye. And they're making eye contact. Peter saw Jesus. Now Judas sees Jesus. Judas is in the same vicinity. He's in the same area. He walks by. He sees that Jesus is condemned. He sees that they're going to kill him. And maybe in his mind he's thinking, I didn't think he'd go this far. I thought I'd turn him in. They'd put him in jail. Maybe even he might do a miracle and get out of it. I didn't think they'd kill him. He's bloody. He's, he's bruised. He's, he's beaten. He's, he's shackled. Oh no, they're going to kill him. And watch what happens. It says he repented himself. This isn't repent as in turn to Jesus. This word here is it means remorse. This means he had regret. This means he had a very strong emotional reaction. This means his heart was broke. This means he had a pain of mind, not a change of mind. This means that he, his heart crumbled inside of him. He was emotionally overwhelmed. The burden of guilt fell on his shoulders. I've sent Jesus to die and He's an innocent man. It's all on me. He felt terrible. He's convicted. He's crushed. His conscience is killing Him. Get this. He can't get it out of His mind. He can't sleep. He can't eat. Everywhere He goes, He's thinking, I've done an evil deed. His conscience is eating away at Him. It's weighing on him. It's piercing his soul. He couldn't move on with his life. He couldn't live with this guilt. It's bad. Guilt is a good thing. We live in a society that tells us not to feel guilty. There's some churches where pastors will get up and tell you not to feel guilty about anything. Guilt is a good thing. A conscience is a good thing. When God gives you a conscience and you feel guilty about something that you've done, that's a good thing. It's supposed to drive you to Jesus to get forgiven for that guilt. 
It's a good thing that he felt guilty. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Guilt is a great thing. We need more guilt in the church. If we had more guilt in the church, we'd find more forgiveness in the church. Guilt will always drive you to do something about it. So in this moment, Judas is overwhelmed with guilt. I mean, it is weighing on him. So bad that he decides to do something about it. I said that. You're going to do something about the guilt. Some people try to drink the guilt away. You know that? Just get it out of my mind. I'm such a a bad sinner. I've I've done such a bad deed. I need to, to get drunk. I need to go out and get my mind off of it somewhere. I was at a funeral not too long ago. And, and, and that will bring a lot of things to your mind when you go to a funeral and, and everybody realizes we're all going to go this way. And I'm sitting down with, with a guy who comes to me in tears and he's saying, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved. And I'm thinking, well, we're in a good place here. This guy gets it. I said, you got to run to Jesus. You gotta to run to Jesus. He's the only one that'll forgive you. And we sit there and I, I pointed him to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. And he got up and run to his old way of life to where he could get his mind off of it. And he's not in the funeral home anymore. He didn't run to Jesus. Where did Judas run to? It says here, look, look, look with me, verse three. He repented himself and he runs to the chief priests and the elders. Why in the world run to them? He runs to him. He, he takes the 30 pieces of silver that's, that's burning not a hole in his pocket, but burning a hole in his soul. That, that 30 pieces might have felt good in a moment, but now it don't feel too good. Sin never does. So he takes that money and he runs to the chief priests. He runs to the elders, the same ones who, who gave it to him. He's going to go try to make it right. Restitution doesn't make guilt go away. It's like putting a band-aid on cancer. Only Jesus can take guilt away. So he runs to the chief priests and the elders and he confesses. I mean, it's obvious he confesses to them. Look what he says. Saying in verse 4, this is big. How hard is it for somebody to confess like this? And I want you to know that when he runs to them and confesses this, he knows what's going to happen to him. Watch. Saying, I have sinned. That's great. He's using words like repent and sin. It sounds like he's going in the right direction. I've sinned. I was wrong. I've betrayed a man who has innocent blood. Again, highlighting, Jesus has never done a thing wrong his entire life. And even his, the traitor knows it. The guy who took him to, to, to and, and got the money says he's innocent. I'm guilty. He's innocent is what he's saying. He's done nothing wrong. This confession should have Got the chief priests and the elders to say, okay, Jesus is innocent. He's set free. Judas has made a false accusation and by law, he must get the punishment of the one he accused. Judas knows that by turning, saying this and changing his mind, he gets the punishment Jesus was going to get. How hard was this confession? He walks up to him and says, here's the money. I said wrong. I accused wrong. So now you take me instead of him. How easy is it to run to Jesus? How hard is it to try to run and do something else? Just as a sidebar, it takes more than being sorry to be saved. He's sorry. There's a lot of people who cry tears. I think Pharaoh was sorry. I mean, I don't have to want to go back into that story, but Moses kept coming back at plague after plague after plague, and Pharaoh would look at him and say, I'm sorry! He wasn't sorry about his sin, he was sorry about the frogs in his house. He was sorry about all the, the plagues that had fell on his house. He was sorry, but he wasn't saved. I think Judas was sorry, but he wasn't saved. There's a lot of people who come to the altar full of tears in their eyes, oh, and then they go back to that. I cried a lot that day. Just because you had tears doesn't mean you were saved. Tears aren't enough. Judas was sorry and he ended up in hell. And look how they treat him here. Watch. So he brings the money to him, says, guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's innocent, I'm guilty. Here, here, here it is. I can't have this anymore. And they look at him and they say, what is this to us? You, you take care of that. 
These religious leaders had nothing, absolutely nothing to offer Judas. They can't help his guilt. They have no forgiveness to give him. No peace to offer, no hope. They offer him nothing. These religious leaders should have had some kind of hope to give him and they had nothing at all. There are religions in our world where people walk into church with burdens on their shoulders, weighing them down, and these religious leaders stand up and offer them no hope whatsoever. There's churches like ours where people walk into church and they are guilty and they feel the weight of their sin. They're convicted. Their conscience is eating away at them. And a pastor stands up and says, here's how I can make your life better. We ought to be in the business pastors of standing up and helping people get the guilt off their shoulders. Sending them to Jesus as the only answer. They don't send him to Jesus. They offer no remedy whatsoever for the guilt of his sin. So now, verse 5. What does he do? And I want to say there, run to Jesus. I mean, I keep putting that in my notes after, after every point. Then Judas, who betrayed him, saw that he was condemned, should have run to Jesus. And then he brought the pieces to the, to the priests and the elders. Should have run to Jesus. Then he goes and confesses. Should have run to Jesus. Over and over, he should have run to Jesus. Why did he run to Jesus? He knew Jesus would forgive. He'd seen it before. So now it says he casts down the pieces of silver. Or does he throw them? In the temple. Everywhere you see that phrase, in the temple, it talks about the innermost place in the temple. So he walks into the temple area, past the gate of the women and the gate of the, of the Gentiles, and, the, and it, in, into the most holy place on the outside. And he would take that money and he'd throw it into the innermost part of the chamber. And it would be an anger, anger throw. He's angry. Throws it. I can't have this anymore. And he leaves. He walks out. He departs. Can you imagine that walk? Head down. Nowhere else to go. Still in his agony. Still in his sin. Still in his guilt. He leaves and walks away. I'm going to say this again. How many people walk away from Jesus all the time? That they'll even leave church. There's going to be people here today. I have no doubt. I prayed about it this week. God, let there be no one that does this today. That they're offered the free salvation and forgiveness that Jesus has. And here they are in church and they turn around and they walk away and leave. Here's my second main point. You can't be saved if you don't go to Jesus to be forgiven. Judas couldn't be saved because Judas didn't go to Jesus. And you can't be saved and you can't be forgiven if you don't go to Jesus. If you go somewhere else, if you go to some other religion, you can't be saved there. There's no other way of salvation. Anywhere else, you must run to Jesus. You can't be saved if you don't run to Jesus. Judas didn't go. He knew Jesus would forgive. He saw Jesus forgive the paralytic. I read that this week. Great passage. that He wanted healing for His body. And Jesus said, your sins be forgiven. That's your greatest need. You need forgiveness before you need help. And that guy got up with the, all of his burdens off of him. Judas had seen that. You know what Peter did? Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to Jesus. That's real repentance. So you can't be saved if you don't go to Jesus to be forgiven. So I challenge you, please take your guilt to Jesus. Please take your sin to Jesus. Please take your burden to Jesus. Whatever it is that's weighing on you, He will forgive it instantly in a moment if you ask Him. He will forgive it completely and entirely where nothing is left and He'll forgive it freely. Last point. I've showed you the deception of a man who couldn't be saved. He was self-deceived. I've showed you the decision of a man who couldn't be saved. He didn't run to Jesus. Now I want to show you the death of a man who couldn't be saved. The death of a man. Look what it says. Let me show you what it doesn't say. It says at the end of verse 5, and, he, and, and departed. I drew a line after departed. And again I put, should have went to Jesus. You see that? It should have went to Jesus. He could have turned to Christ and there would have been forgiveness of sins and open arms and full forgiveness. I mean, that's, that's, that's Jesus. Open arms, ready, ready to receive and ready to forgive always. But instead of running to the open arms of Jesus, He runs into the open arms of death. 
It says in verse 5, And he cast down the pieces of silver into the temple, and he departed. And he went, and he hanged himself. Acts chapter 1 adds that when he hung himself, that he fell, he must not have tied the rope too well. So he tied the rope on a tree, hung himself, and then he fell headlong. And it said he burst asunder and his bowels gushed out. There's disgusting stories about Judas. I read one this week and it's just because people know the, the how, how ugly this scene is. But there's stories about Judas that he, he had some kind of disease after this happened. And that his belly got so big that he was eat up with a disease that he couldn't even walk through doors. He was so swelled. And that when he went to hang himself, that's why he was so big that it broke the tree and he landed on a rock and it burst open and his bowels poured out. This is a grotesque image. The Bible wants us to see how grotesque it was. You say, why? I think the Bible wants us to see that the wages of sin is death. And that it's not a pretty thing, it's an ugly thing. You need to know just how ugly the wages of sin is. You need to know where sin will take you. I don't think churches today tell that anymore. I think we tell, we may say sin is bad. We, we even like to take the word sin off of it and, and say it, it, it's a mess up, it's, a, it's some kind of a problem that we have. But sin is, is sin. It's, it's sin against God. And when you do it, it's going to take you down a road that is not going to end well. He started out taking just a little bit of money out of the, 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 the purse and putting it in his own pocket. Then he turns into a traitor. And before it's over, he's hanging himself and his bowels are bursting open everywhere. That's where sin will take you if you just let it play out. It's going to take you to some dark and ugly places. This is, this is grotesque. We don't get told this stuff enough. He's a warning to us. Watch that this doesn't happen to you. Why did he commit suicide? You know the most common reason people commit suicide? You know what it is? Guilt. Guilt. I looked it up this week. There's all kinds of reasons, top ten reasons people commit suicide. Guilt's the number one. Guilt is the most common. That their conscience is killing them so bad, so overwhelmed, that they have no hope, no help, no relief. So the last resort for them is to try to settle that conscience and to end that guilt is, I'll end it all. I'll put a stop to my conscience. It won't stop. It won't let up. So I'm done. Stop the conscience. Stop the guilt. But it doesn't go away. I'll tell you in a minute, the conscience and the guilt will go on worse for all eternity. It doesn't end it. Judas didn't wake up relieved. Judas opened his eyes worse. I tell you this to today, anybody in this condition of great guilt, there's relief found only in Jesus. I'll give you another reason. In Roman culture, if you've done something very bad, like Judas did, you could atone for your own sin. You could make it better by killing yourself. It's almost like Muslims today who, if, if they, they live this life of works where if I die and I'm, I'm 51% good and, and 49% bad, I get into heaven. And that they live on that. But if you've done something really, really, really bad and you're at the end of your life and you're sitting there thinking, it's like 75-25. I'm really bad. How can I atone for this? I don't have time to, to balance the scales. You know what they can do? They can kill themselves and be a martyr. And that atones for their sins. Romans had the same thing. So Judas goes out and hangs himself on a tree to try to get rid of the guilt, to atone for his sins and to make it right. Judas tries to pay for his own sins. So another point I have for you, you, Judas couldn't be saved because he tried to get right on his own. 
You can't be saved if you're going to try to get right on your own. You can't remove the guilt by your works. You can't remove the guilt by being good or going to church. It's like a leopard trying to change its own spots. Only can Jesus can deal with your sin. And He did it on another tree. And it adds in verses 6-10, through 10, which i got to go through real quick. You guys think I'm going to preach through verses 6 and 10 like I did verses 1-5. through 5. Verse 6. So He went and hanged Himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, we can't take this. We're not going to put this in the treasury. It's, it's blood money. <laughs> they had taken the money out of the treasury to, to get the blood money. It was blood money to start with. And they're like, no, 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 no. We can't do that. That's against the law. <laughs> They've got a conscience on them now all of a sudden. There's no way we can do that. That's the price of blood. And right there in verse 6, they admit that Jesus is innocent. It's innocent blood. So they took counsel and they bought, they bought with it a potter's field to bury strangers in. And wherefore that field was called the field of blood or innocent blood unto this day. So that every time somebody walked by that field where strangers were buried in, they'd say Jesus is innocent. It's like everything in this passage is pointing to the innocence of Jesus Christ that He's never done a thing wrong. And there's a field that for 30 years at least was called the field of blood. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, they took 30 pieces of silver and the price of him that was valued whom they of the children of Israel, Israel did value and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed it. You say, what does that mean? That every last bit of this scene, every detail, even down to the price and the field that was bought was preordained, foretold, and prophesied in the Old Testament. You say, how does that work out? <laughs> that Judas did all these things and it's his, his own fault and he wouldn't be saved because he couldn't be saved because he wouldn't be saved. And then over here you say, <laughs> Joshua, you're contradicting yourself here. You say, oh, it's Judas. And over here you say, it's all been foretold. It's all been planned. God did it all. There, there was no choice that he had. That's, that's the difference where we're looking at the sovereignty of God that He has everything under complete and total control and He has it all planned out from before the foundation of the world. But somehow, somewhere, God knows that there's responsibility of man. If we go to heaven, it'll all be by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we go to hell, it's all on us. So you say, what happened to Judas? Mark 14.21 says, that it'd be, it'd be better that he'd never been born. That's about as clear as it gets. If you don't come to Jesus, you will die in your sins, and it's better than if you'd never been born. Acts 1 says that Judas went to his own place, place where he belonged. Where? Judas went to hell. He didn't go to hell because he committed suicide, he went to hell because he didn't trust in Jesus. He went to hell. And the Bible seems to say that he went to the hottest of hells. A place reserved for people just like him. You know there's different levels of hell? I don't know if people understand that. I think there's different rewards in heaven. The Bible teaches that. But there's also different punishments in hell. And we like to think that the, the hottest places of hell are reserved for those who, who are the worst of the worst on earth. We like to think that there's a room set aside for the, for the, for the Hitlers, you know. That's a room just for those those evil men and, and and other people just get a lesser hell. I think the hottest of hells reserved for people who are so close to heaven and turned it down and went to hell. The hottest hell is for people who had every single opportunity in the world to be saved and turned it down. The hottest of hell is people who had full knowledge and understanding of the gospel and they walked their feet up right to the door of heaven and understood it all and knew it all and they turned their back and they walked away straight to hell. That's, where, that's who goes to the hottest hell. You know who's going to go to the hottest hell? People who sit in a church pew every single Sunday and hear the gospel and know about Jesus and know that they have guilt and know that they're convicted and, and understand all those things. And every Sunday they turn around and they walk out and, and refuse the gospel. That's who's going to go to the hottest of hells. I've said it here before. You don't, you don't want to go to hell from West End Baptist Church. An hour long sermon, three or four days a week. 
You, you have all the information and all, all the knowledge and, and all the teaching. Here it is. Here's your chance. Every Sunday we say, Jesus with open arms will save you and forgive you. If you go to hell from this church, you're going to go to the hottest of hells. You had every chance. And not just this area and this church, America's had so many opportunities. Nowhere has there ever been freedom like we've had. Bibles everywhere. And people are turning and walking away everywhere. No excuse. So Judas went to the hottest of hells. The place where his guilt never stopped. Where his conscience still eats away at him to this day. Where it will only get worse and worse and worse. And I'm going to give you one final point here. These are all sub-points. <laughs> he went to a place he can't come back from. The point here is you can't be saved after you die. There's no hope then. This life is the time that God has given us to, to receive Him as Savior. The Bible says it's appointed that a man wants to die and then the judgment. You die and then there's judgment. There's no coming back. Talking to somebody this week about purgatory. Catholics teach that there's a, a middle place where you, you live your life and you die and you go to purgatory. And there's this middle place where you can you work off your sins, work off your guilt, work off all that you've done. And then when you've worked off uh, ever how long that is, you can be there 50 years. And okay, I'm going to go to heaven now. I'm going to be there 500 years if you're a real bad person. Then I'm going to go to heaven now. But the Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die. And then no purgatory, there's judgment. They're standing before God and there, there's not another chance. There you're done. Your decision is final. So the second Judas hung himself and breathed his last, last breath, he was a man who couldn't be saved. It's a tragic end to a privileged life. No one had ever been so close and ended up so far. And I, I, I mean that. I, I, don't, I don't know that anybody has ever been that close. I don't know that anybody's ever been where Judas was. He literally... Walked up to the door of heaven. I mean, he was so close. He lived where he could touch Jesus. He saw Lazarus being raised. He saw the paralytic get up and walk. He saw the blind to see. He saw the deaf to hear. He heard the greatest sermons that anybody has ever preached in the history of the world. He had the invitations. It was coming to me. All you the labor and heavy laden. Even you, Judas, and I'll give you rest. So close. And he ended up further away from God than anybody who, who ever has been. In the hottest place of hell. And I'm afraid there's so many who are so close. So close to being saved. So close to being right. They have the knowledge. They have the profession. They have the church. They have the, the baptism. They have all those things that look so good on the outside, but they don't have the changed heart. They're not saved. They're not forgiven. They're still carrying around sin and guilt. Their conscience still eats away at them. And they do everything that they can to calm that conscience down. They go to bed at night and they think, am I right? Am I right? And they're like, okay, I'm going to get my phone out so I don't have to think about it. Am I right anymore? We do that. We drown out our conscience with anything we can get. Come into church and you can't sit for an hour and think about where you stand. We can watch Netflix for three or four hours. Next episode. Do you want to watch another one? Yes, I do. Next episode. But you sit in church and think, oh, he's really going long today. Trying to get your mind off of where you stand. Judas, am I right? Don't think about that. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. You may even do that today. Sitting here and you're trying to think about other things. Pulled in all kinds of different directions. Can't wait to get in that foyer. Can't wait to walk past that preacher. 
Can't wait to get in that car. Can't wait to turn off that radio. Can't wait to get to the house. Can't wait to get your mind off of where you stand. You're so close, but you're so far away. Close doesn't count when it comes to salvation. To be almost saved is to be completely lost. And one day you're going to die and it'll be too late and you can't be saved. So what do we do with this? I say this. We all know people like this. And there may be some in here who think they're too bad. I don't know if there's somebody like that in here. You think you're too bad. You're like the guy we, the people we talked about at the beginning who say, you don't know what I've done. I'm too bad. There's no way. He never saved somebody like me. Then I offer you Jesus Christ today. I offer you a Savior who stands up here ready to receive anyone and everyone who comes to Him by faith. And if you come to Him by faith, I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you've thought. I don't know, I don't know who you've killed. I don't know who you've stolen from. I, I don't know what you've done. But I know this, there's not anything on your list of sins that Jesus hasn't died for and will forgive like that. In an instant, immediately, completely, totally, all of it will be gone, wiped away, all that guilt on Jesus' shoulders paid on Calvary if you come to Him by faith. Nobody too bad. What was it? Paul, the worst of the worst, the chief of all sinners. And nobody did what Paul did. You know what Paul did? He killed Christians. Persecuted the church. Jesus forgave him and saved him. Paul couldn't quit talking about it. Oh, wow. What a Savior. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me, I'll never forget all of His benefits. So if there's somebody in here today who thinks you're too bad, there may be somebody watching online two weeks from now, a month from now, just scrolling through Facebook trying to get, rid your conscience of your guilt. You know, What's this guy saying? I tell them today, run to Jesus and He will completely forgive you of all your sins. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. I think that's what Judas didn't really know. That even the betrayal, Jesus would have forgave him. Let me give you another thing. We all know people like that. But you might be like Judas. This might be one of those times when your conscience is eating away at you and your guilt is strong and you're asking yourself, am I really saved? And I tell you today, don't be a fool. Don't sit here with doubts and not make it right. You'd be a fool to hear a sermon like this. And if there's any doubt whatsoever in your mind about where you stand, and for you to walk away and not deal with it, you'd be a fool. I'd be a fool not to sit here and study this passage this week and to sit at my desk and say, Emma? Emma? To make my calling and election sure? To examine myself to see if I'm in the faith? We all need to do that from time to time. I don't think we need to live in that, but I think we all need to check ourselves. And today's one of those days when everybody in here needs to really think, am I? Because there's the danger of us saying, yeah, there's nobody too bad <laughs> that he can't save. But there are people that are too good for him to save. That we think we're something, we're all right. But you need to look deep down in your heart and you need to say, am I really? Have I?" Here's a question. i got time. Have I ever felt that kind of guilt? Have I ever had that kind of conviction? Have I ever been really, truly overwhelmed by my sin? I don't see that a whole lot. Where it's, I've got to do something with this or I'll die. That used to be why we invited people to come to the altar. Take your guilt and lay it down at Jesus' feet. And I've seen people run. Have you all ever seen people run? I can't take it anymore. And they walk out like they're walking on air. Because they've taken the guilt and gave it to Jesus. The only one that can carry our guilt. Don't shake it off. Don't be a fool. 
Jesus stands even for you who doubt, that don't really know. He stands with arms wide open, ready to forgive. The Bible says, any who are thirsty, let them come. The Bible says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that he will certainly no way cast anyone out who comes to him by faith. You come to him today, and everybody in here, get this, everybody in here. And this is a fairly good crowd all around the room here. Everybody in here could walk away completely and totally forgiven today. Everybody. If you'd come to him and put your faith in Christ. There's no reason, no reason for anybody to walk out of here with their sins still on their shoulders. Nobody. No, no reason for that at all. Let me, let me quote, quote Matthew Henry here and I'll close. He said, the worst sin Judas ever committed was not, and I, I'm going to post this one after, after the service. The worst sin Judas ever committed was not his betrayal of Jesus, was not his suicide. The worst sin Judas ever committed was refusing to turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And if you're sitting here today, that'd be the worst thing you'd ever do is refusing to turn to Christ for forgiveness. I'll say this, don't be Judas. We're looking at two characters in this study of Peter last week and Judas this week. Be like Peter. He was broken. He was guilty. His conscience was eating away at him. And the second he saw Jesus, he jumped out of that fishing boat and he swam as fast as he could to Jesus. He did. And when he got there, Jesus forgave him and restored him and set him on the right track. That's a great story. I wish I had put it in the sermon last week. I was reading it this week. I thought, there's how you run to Jesus. Even if there's water between you, you jump in and you go as fast as you can. I thought in my mind, can you see Peter? I'm sure that water is just everywhere. He wore out when he got there, breathing heavy, and Jesus forgave him. So I tell you today, be like Peter. Run to Jesus. Swim to Jesus. Whatever you have to do to get to Jesus. And He'll forgive you. He'll save you. No doubt. Don't be like Judas who turned his back, walked away, and carried his guilt to death. Be like Peter. If you're sitting here today, please run to Jesus for forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time in Your Word today. It's been a blessing. I know this is a dark passage. I get that. Um, our commitment to, to studying through Your Word brings us to stuff like this. And I trust that in your providence, you have brought people to hear this passage that needed it. And I pray that you would use it, God, in the way that you mean it to be used. I pray if there's someone in here who thinks they're too bad to be saved, that they would see how gracious and forgiving and merciful you are, and that they'd run to you today for forgiveness. I pray if there's someone in here who thinks they're saved and they're not, I have no doubt there's somebody in here like that. No doubt. I pray that today the light bulb would come on. That they'd see that by Your Spirit that You would open their eyes to their true condition and they, they would run to Jesus as fast as they could to be saved. Really, truly saved. Forgiven. Please do a great work in this. And I pray, God, that if, if, if nothing else, may we as a church take this gospel of forgiveness to a world that needs to hear it. We live in a world full of people who are trying everything to get rid of guilt, to, to deaden their conscience. And I pray, God, that you would please, please help us to get the gospel, the good news, the forgiving good news of Jesus as far and wide as we can. We love you and we thank you for forgiving us of our sins. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.